Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Tuesday, November 16th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, the U.S. finally has a national recycling strategy as of yesterday. Plus, what is the ultimate song to listen to at any time of the day or night? Scientists have figured it out. The gendered history of car and road design and the giant Reese's Cup Hi, that sold out in mere minutes. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. So yesterday, it turns out, was America Recycles Day, which I find slightly ironic because do we really... According to the Government Accountability Office, less than 25% of waste in the U.S. is collected for recycling. And that's actually down from recent years because starting in 2018, China stopped accepting a lot of our theoretically recyclable waste. But those numbers could be changing. Yesterday, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency finalized the nation's very first national recycling strategy with a goal of achieving a 50% recycling rate by 2030. And yes, that means that we did not have a national recycling strategy before now, although this one has been in the works since 2019. Quoting the Washington Post, the new strategy includes five main objectives, including improving the collection of recyclables and recycling data and reducing contamination in the recycling stream, the EPA also takes a circular economy approach in which a product is sustainably managed throughout its life cycle, from production to disposal or reuse. The new plan places a priority on addressing the impacts of recycling on poor and minority communities, such as incinerators and scrapyards. While the new initiative does not provide extensive policy details, it identifies a number of studies the EPA will conduct, including an assessment of the needs in the recycling infrastructure system and an analysis of policies that could make recycling easier. It also commits the EPA to creating a new goal for reducing the climate impacts of the production, consumption, and disposal of waste items, a system that is a significant source of greenhouse gas emissions, end quote. And The Verge explains one challenge the EPA will have as it works to improve collections, specifically, quote, the uptick in online shopping has changed where packaging waste winds up. There's less cardboard, for instance, coming from shopping malls and grocery stores because of the popularity of home deliveries. That has posed problems for recycling companies because cardboard coming from people's homes tends to be dirtier than retailers' trash, experts tell The Verge. Oftentimes, cardboard or plastic that's too contaminated with food or other items can't be recycled, so the EPA intends to do more public outreach and education to ensure more of the stuff people throw out actually gets recycled. End quote. Now, while most are applauding the fact that the plan has been finalized at all, there are a lot of skeptics who say it needs to go further. Judith Ank, a former senior EPA official during the Obama administration who now heads the Beyond Plastics Advocacy Organization, told the Washington Post that the plan needs a, quote, more robust commitment to waste reduction. The problem is that there's just too much plastic packaging foisted on American consumers, end quote. And quoting further from The Verge, the plastics industry has a history of promoting recycling as a solution for its waste problem, but in reality, only about 90 
9% of all plastic waste has ever been recycled. Some environmental experts and activists are also concerned that developing the market for recycled plastic might actually drive up demand for new plastics. That's because the quality of materials typically degrades each time they're rehashed, which is why products made with recycled plastic are often reinforced with new plastic. End quote. And another aspect of the plan drawing a bit of critique is a new piece added since drafts were shared last year, chemical recycling, also known as advanced recycling. This process uses heat or chemicals to convert plastics into fuel or plastic resin so they can be reused to manufacture new products. But, quoting the Washington Post, chemical recycling is being held up by the industry as a cure-all, said Neil Tangri, science and policy director for the advocacy organization Global Alliance for Incinerator Alternatives. But, he said, the technology often doesn't work if the recycling stream is dirty. It can be energy intensive and doesn't necessarily result in high enough quality plastic resin for repurposing, he added. End quote. Again, overall, it's very good we have this new national recycling policy, but as The Verge summed it up, quote, basically, there needs to be a concerted effort to stop producing junk in the first place. End quote. Some people get really into their daily music choices. I've got a friend who has a specific morning playlist he's crafted over the years that he listens to every day. He might have one for winding down at night as well. You might have a playlist you prefer on the drive to work. Sometime during the pandemic, I started listening to gentle folk music in the mornings. Not exactly sure how that happened, but we've all got our own tastes. And according to a new study from Our House University in Denmark, published last week in the Royal Society, our music choices at different times of the day are actually fairly predictable and based on our diurnal cycles. Quoting their abstract, Even complex aspects of daily life, such as affective states, exhibit systematic diurnal patterns which in turn influence behavior. As a result, previous research has identified population-level diurnal patterns and affective preference for music. By analyzing audio features from over 2 billion music streaming events on Spotify, we find that the music people listen to divides into five distinct time blocks corresponding to morning, afternoon, evening, night, and late night slash early morning. By integrating an artificial neural network with Spotify's API, we show a general awareness of diurnal preference in playlists, which is not present to the same extent for individual tracks. Our results demonstrate how music intertwines with our daily lives and highlight how even something as individual as musical preference is influenced by underlying diurnal patterns. End quote. And after combing through the data, which was of 4 million songs on Spotify, they also interviewed study participants for confirmation about during which of those five blocks they preferred certain playlists. The findings follow about what you would expect, quoting NPR. In the morning block, slow but energetic songs dominated. Lead researcher Ola Adrian Hegley suggested Supreme by Robbie Williams. Louder, faster songs ruled in the afternoon, think Only Girl in the World by Rihanna, and danceable music ruled in the evening. End quote. The authors also say that a song by, say, Sigaros would trend toward later in the nighttime. There was one song they found, however, that dominated no matter the time of day or night, a song that would satisfy the trends in any of the five blocks of time, morning, afternoon, late nights. The song? Every Breath You Take by The Police. 
Hegley told NPR, quote, It's a very in-the-middle type of song. It's a medium tempo. It's a bit groovy, but not too much groovy. It doesn't have any loud surprises. And it's all over just a very pleasant, perhaps even a bit bland song, end quote. And as NPR describes it, quote, The song was a sensation when it was released in 1983, topping the Billboard Hot 100 charts for eight weeks. And today it plays on the soundtrack to parties, weddings or trips to the grocery store. Its popularity is a little surprising, though, because it's not a particularly flashy song. Its arrangement is flat and monochromatic with a snaking guitar line, placid drums and stings faint and reverby vocals. The drummer on the recording, Stuart Copeland, was even said to be frustrated with with having to rein in his playing for the song's simple arrangement, end quote. And while the researchers say that their findings could help artists who want to optimize their streaming potential by crafting a song that is listenable at any time of the day, like Every Breath You Take, NPR warns that it would be pretty hard to make a song as unaffecting as Every Breath You Take without just accidentally making a milk toast song. They suggest instead picking a particular time of the day and using the R House findings to make the absolute best song most optimized for that chunk of the day. But until then, you can feel satisfied listening to every breath you take, every single day, with every word you say, every game you play, and every night you stay. So you may remember a little bit ago when I talked about the history of electric vehicles and how we were so close to having electric cars instead of gas ones all the way back in the late 1800s. There were a lot of reasons that gas won out, a lot of reasons that still exist today. You know, electric cars' batteries don't last as long as a decent fuel tank, so you can't go as far. And some people feel cooler hearing the roar of their engine and knowing that they had to acquire a certain level of skill in maintenance to keep the car going as opposed to electric cars, which, at least comparatively, don't have quite as many issues. I say this having literally just gotten back from the auto repair shop. But one reason electric cars ended up not taking off that is not a problem associated with them today is that eventually, around the turn of the 20th century, they started being thought of as women's cars. That whole thing about wanting to feel accomplished and able to fix your car that I just said, that was a pervasive feeling among men. Men also, by and large, wanted to be able to use their car to go much further than the electric batteries and far-flung charging stations could take them. Women, by contrast, well, they shouldn't be straying too far from the home anyways. And of course, they wouldn't want anything to do with car repair, right? So a simple, less powerful car was perfect for women, and thus electric cars started being marketed towards women. Even Henry Ford bought his wife an electric car instead of a Model T. But because the electric cars were marketed towards women, and women didn't make up a huge portion of the driving force at the time, they ultimately died out. And as Ashanta Jackson wrote in JSTOR Daily, the car industry rarely again made an effort to really appeal to women drivers, and when they did, it was with just as much stereotyping as with electric cars. In the late 20s, auto manufacturers finally started focusing on the appearance of cars to appeal to people's sense of style, but women's tastes weren't really factored in, and the very few women designers at General Motors were typically only assigned to work on the interiors of cars. In the 50s, as the interstate highway system was being constructed, landscape architect A. Carl Stelling shared predictions on how we could design the highways to be more appealing to women drivers. Quoting JSTOR Daily, 
Stelling predicted that this new crop of timid and panicky women drivers would spark changes to current roadways. Feminine pastel colors would replace the drab, monotonous tones of present-day pavement. Designs would include an extra-slow, truckless lane for women who became nervous at high speeds, and wider travel lanes would allow women a greater margin of error in their maneuvering." End quote. Yeah, it's pretty bad. But even as recently as 2004, a study showed that even while men certainly can't speak for women's true tastes or needs, a small group of women also can't speak for the whole gender. 2004 was when Volvo ran a project called Your Concept Car, or YCC, which had women car designers designing a car targeted at women. Quoting again, The YCC offered interchangeable seat covers and carpets in eight colors, and Volvo emphasized the car's ease of cleaning. There was no gas cap, so fingernails will not be broken trying to pry it open. Maybe the most unusual feature was the hood, which could not be opened. This permitted engine maintenance and repair only by a qualified Volvo technician because the design team decided early on that women preferred not to have to look under the hood. End quote. Researchers Roy Schwartzman and Mercy Decker analyzed the YCC project and came to the conclusion, quote, A product does not necessarily become a liberatory device for women simply because it was formulated by women. End quote. Well, dang. You know, I know that cars are a gendered topic and industry. I mean, the repair guy at the shop today made a comment about how women drivers are more scared of their cars breaking down on the highway, which just kind of came out of nowhere. But I always viewed women and girls as being just as into cars as men and boys. But, you know, maybe that's because the person in my life who was the most obsessed with cars when I was a kid was Melissa Joan Hart's character on Clarissa Explains It All. Like the men, and probably many women in the 1800s who preferred gas cars because of how much further they could take them, Clarissa just wanted the freedom of the open road. It certainly didn't matter if that road was pastel-colored or not. Although, to be honest, that would be pretty cool. I gotta say at the top here, I am very sorry that I am delivering this news to you when you do not have any chance of purchasing one of these for yourself because it has already sold out, but unfortunately, it sold out almost as soon as it went live. I didn't even hear about it until it was gone either. I am talking about Reese's Mondo 3.4 pound, 9 inch diameter Reese's peanut butter cup that they marketed as a Thanksgiving pie. And I don't mean it's like some kind of chocolatey peanut butter pie made of, you know, pie crust. This is literally just a giant version of the regular chocolate candy, but they're calling it a pie, and the promotional graphics show it being served with a pie server. Now, I don't know who it was that organized this whole affair, but they seem to have seriously underestimated people's love for Reese's, and for ridiculously huge sugar bomb desserts, especially at this time of the year. Reese's launched it yesterday for just $45 a pie, but only released 3,000 of them, and obviously, they sold out immediately. There's no word yet if they'll make more, there's no waitlist you can sign up for or anything yet, but I can't imagine they won't try to capitalize on this somehow since it was such a huge hit. But so far, all we know is that this magical, ridiculous, largest ever peanut butter cup from Reese's themselves exists, and we cannot have it. 
But in other weird Thanksgiving-themed news from brands, I swear I must have somehow entered the Heinz filter bubble because all of their goofy marketing stunts keep hitting my feeds, but yes, Heinz is making Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade history with the introduction of their own Flolunical. Yeah, Flolunical. It's supposed to be a portmanteau of float, balloon, and vehicle, and Macy's website says that it is an all-new parade element. The Heinz Flolunical will feature a giant gravy boat made to look like a pirate ship, and some bonus characters, including a very concerned-looking turkey leg floating in a cup of gravy, and a stay-puffed marshmallow man-style lump of mashed potatoes. Both Flolunicals, of course. The whole thing is so bizarre, I feel like I've entered a fever dream just describing it. And in addition to shelling out probably several hundreds of thousands of dollars on this Flolunical to promote their gravy and other branded Thanksgiving offerings, the part float, part balloon, part vehicle is also advertising the company's new children's book, Grace and the Gravy Pirates. To quote Nerdist, Can you believe it's the Kraft Heinz's company's first foray into children's literature? Yeah, we can too. End quote. In any case, that is just one of the many strange things you are sure to see next Thursday if you tune into the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Although for me, nothing will ever beat Cartoon Network pulling a surprise Rick Astley out of their float to rickroll the entire nation back before that joke got too tired. All right, well, that is it for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.